2000 and something, I think, might be 2019. I've got a slight echo on this. I'm caught up in your presence. I just moment I never want to leave. I'm not here for blessings. Jesus, you don't owe me anything. More than anything you can do, I just want to be with you. I'm sorry when I've just gone through the motions. I'm sorry when I just sang another song. Take me back to where we started. I open up my heart to you. I'm sorry when I've come with my agenda. I'm sorry when I forgot that you're enough. Take me back to where we started. I open up my heart to you. I just want you. Nothing else, nothing else, nothing else will do. I'm coming back to where we started. I'm coming back to where we started. When I first felt your love, you're all that matters, Jesus. You're all that matters. I'm coming back to what really matters, just your heart. The songs that we write seem to have an expression of the desire for intimacy with God, presence, to know God, not just in the abstract, in the sense, or the, the cerebral or cerebral, whichever way you pronounce it, not just in those ways, but actually experientially. And yet it's amazing, isn't it, how we fear the experiential. In fact, we do a lot to try and to eradicate the experiential. We even use theology to do it. And don't get me wrong, I am not anti-theology. Anybody who knows me will know that that isn't the case. I'm not anti-doctrine. Anybody who knows me will know that that's not the case. But there is this fear of the experiential. It could be because we feel that if God all of a sudden turned up in his fullness, we would lose control. And that is basically the bottom line for us. To be in God's presence means to lose control. It doesn't mean to go wacky necessarily, all right? Because I struggle with the wacky, all right? Um, that doesn't mean I struggle with it. It's not my problem, all right? I'm, not, I'm far from wacky, uh, I can assure you. But we struggle in case things get out of control and we are no longer in control. And yet there is this place of surrender, which is so, so important if we're going to know the presence of God. We have to be willing to let go and let God. My brother-in-law once said to me, God can't do through you what he wants until he can do in you what he wants. And that is so true. And I want to ask you a question this morning. Are you willing to give up control? Are we as a congregation willing to give up control in order that we might bask in the presence of God. Now, there's loads of things we can say. We can say that, well, God's everywhere, isn't he? Yes, he is. The Bible tells us that. 
He is the God of the heavens and of the earth. He is everywhere. He is omnipresent, but there is something special about his imminence. His individualness, where he will come and he will spend time with us as people face to face. I think sometimes I fear that presence, that imminence of God, that deep closeness of God because of what it might expose in me. Because you see, I'm just the same as everybody else. I'm a human being who does their best but fails. So for the next few weeks, at least, we're going to be looking at the presence of God. That is what we are going to be looking at. I know, without a shadow of a doubt, that God's desire is to dwell with his people. It's there from the beginning of this book right through to the end. It begins with closeness to God, imminence. Him walking with his created order in the cool of the day, conversing with them, talking with them, sharing with them in Genesis 1 and 2 and 3. All right, he is there with them and the book ends in the same place, but this time in the heavenly Jerusalem where we will be overwhelmed and overawed by his presence and never want to leave, never want to leave. If I had a verse this morning that I want to leave with you just to meditate on, we Later this month, on the 25th of March, we are going to have a dream day. Um, We'll try and remember to send out tomorrow an invitation to you, which we will want RSVP for. It's not just for people who who attend the church, who uh, are partners. It is for everybody who attends here regularly. We want you to RSVP because we want to make sure there's food for you at lunchtime. But the reality is we're going to have this dream day. And I wanna, one of the questions we want to ask ourselves is what, does it, what, what is it that makes a, a, a church fit for purpose? What is it that makes a church fit for purpose? Is it simply that we turn up and we go through the motions? We sing songs, we take communion, we preach God's word. All those things are important. Do not mistake it. But the reality is that that's what we want to be. Time is already rushed away. However, I'm going to read you a passage of scripture from 1 Peter 2. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander... And like newborn infants, long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 
For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honour is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe. So the honour is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offence. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Once you were not a people... But now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honourable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Right throughout Scripture, Genesis 1, creation, the Garden of Eden, you have presence of God. You move on from there and we find that God's presence carries on. There is that imminent presence demonstrated with Abraham and Jacob There is that same presence demonstrated as they get thrown into the wilderness and they go out into the wilderness and they build a tabernacle, a place where God would dwell and they place the tabernacle in the middle of the nation of Israel. And the reason that they did that was because God was to be central for everything that they did. God's presence was known. They encamped around the presence of God. The whole of the Israelite nation camped around the tabernacle, which was a sign of the presence of God. You go into the tabernacle and you go through the outer court and into the inner room and then you had the Holy of Holies where the ark sat, the mercy seat was on the top of it. And it was in there that God's presence was fully, in all power, demonstrated. And at that time, only the chief priest could go in once a year into that place and stand before the living God. Presence. And yet the children of Israel knew The presence of God was in the midst, in the wilderness. How? There was the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. They were aware that God was there. They came to a mountain which appeared to be burning. And in the presence of God, they sinned. Hard to believe, isn't it? We move on from there and you see it again and again. You've got the temple and finally you have Jesus, the incarnation, the presence of God in our midst in the form of Jesus 
who died to save us from our sins, to cleanse us from all the things we've ever done wrong, to make us prepared to have relationship, restoration in our relationship with God. Presence. God desires presence. God desires a people of presence. A people who are knowledgeable of the presence of God. For want of a better phrase, evangelism will not be something that is difficult for you. It will be automatic. There'll be something about you that is aglow and different, not by legalism or law, but by joy. And no matter what the circumstances are around your life, you will have a trust and a a foundation on which you are fashioning your life, which will continually be solid. Tells us that throughout the Bible. God can be trusted. He is our hope. He is our salvation. He is our deliverer. In him will I trust. Hallelujah. Yeah. I want to tell you, presence is everything. Presence is everything. I do believe that we can be guilty, just like the words of that song that I read. Forgive me when I come with my own agenda. I'm sorry when I forgot that you're enough. Take me back to where we've started, you know. Forgive me when I come with my own agenda. You don't owe me anything. God doesn't owe us anything, and yet he's chosen to bless us. He's chosen to pour out his spirit upon us, to adopt us, to become his children, providing we're willing to surrender our lives to him and follow him. In this passage that I've read, and I'm not going to go on much longer today, I'll I'll add it to next week. In the passage we read, it says that we are living stones. Those of us who have been renewed by God's spirit, we are living stones being built into a spiritual house. Another word for house, temple. A sign of where God's going to dwell. God dwells in each of us through his spirit. And so in one sense... We could say that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. But throughout the New Testament, at least, it seems pretty conclusive to me that God wants us to be built together as a bigger temple, a bigger expression of his presence. And so we are being built together as living stones. The only important thing about that is this, that Jesus Christ is the cornerstone, the stone from which everything else takes shape. The centrality, we talked recently about the centrality of Jesus uh, and, and wanting God to be central in everything in our fellowship. Well, I want to tell you, The cornerstone, you might think of it out on the edge, but without the cornerstone, the building does not take its correct shape. It will go out of true. But with Jesus as the cornerstone, setting the angle right, and the other stones always being fitted into it, then I want to tell you that building which is built will be true. I had a vision in 1984. 
I've probably shared it before. I just want to share something out of it again. I've come to the conclusion as I've been reading about presence this week and I've been praying into it and I've been doing it for a a couple of weeks now. But I've become convinced that when I, I, I interpreted a vision I had all those years ago in the wrong way. You see, God is building a house without walls and yet we're the stones which make up the house Dave that doesn't make sense in my vision I saw this happen I saw people stood not connected in any way whatsoever can I borrow you two for a minute anybody else willing to come out and just stand over here for a minute and let me move you around a bit yeah good come on That's good. So what we had was, if you can imagine, don't stand looking at each other all looking in the same direction. So back to back. And then you stand back and you stand back there with your back there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And in this vision, there were people and they, they were there and they were looking around and they were just having a... a there were loads of people there, but they, there was no connection, no real connection other than that they were in the same place. And then from heaven I saw this throne descend and the throne speaks to me of Jesus and the presence of God. And from the throne flowed an ark of water and all of a sudden, go with this, all right? All turn and face me, all right? And in fact, normally they would be looking up and they raised their hands and they began to worship like this. And more and more people started to come in. It's all right, put your hands down, guys. You can go sit down now. All right. More and more and more people came and joined, but they were worshipping the Almighty God. The only thing that changed in this whole thing was the ark of water expanded and encompassed them. Every one of them a living stone. Every one of them becoming part of a spiritual priesthood worshipping the almighty God and I don't rate my, my, what I saw I've only ever had one vision so I'm not one of these people that gets these every other day or three times in a service I just don't get it All right. I've had one vision in my life which was technicolour it was in colour and as they began to worship this, the, 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 the crowd talk about a crowd They just expanded and expanded and, as I say, they were just enveloped with the water that flowed from an arch and encompassed them. And from there they went out and I saw a map, black background, white lines, red dots. The red dots were houses, the houses were cut in half. It was like I went and looked in them. There were people sharing Jesus with neighbours. There were people doing Bible study. There was a prayer meeting going on. They were praying for the sick in another place. They were feeding people somewhere else. And this is the people of God being spiritual priests of the community outside. You see, priests represent the people to God and God to the people. And we are called to be a spiritual priesthood, a holy nation separated for God, being built together into a spiritual house. And if all we ever do is gather and it has no outward manifestation, then there's something that's not quite right. 
So I believe, folk, that we are being called as the people of God have been called from the day that this book was written. That letter was written under the inspiration of the Spirit. Since that day, that is God's heart. To build us into a spiritual house, a temple for his presence. Because we're changed in the presence of a holy God. We're changed from one glory to ever-increasing glory. We get changed. Our lives get examined in here. And hopefully some of the garbage in our life gets burnt off in here because we decide to deal with it. If I was to take the time and unpack the rest of this passage, which I'll go into probably next week, um, the reality is there is, throughout the whole of Scripture, a principle I see it in scripture. There is a time of preparation before fulfillment. A time of preparation before fulfillment. Purpose is already set. But then there is preparation and fashioning and completion. In other words, release into purpose. And you see that throughout scripture. Moses... He tended sheep for 40 years before he got the opportunity to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. Now you can argue he circumvented the process because if he hadn't killed the guy, that might have happened a lot earlier. You can argue that, but the Bible doesn't tell us what would have happened. All right? God's all-knowing, all-seeing, so he already knew what was going to happen. And so Moses ended up 40 years tending sheep in order to have an encounter with a burning bush, hearing the voice of God, arguing with God about whether or not he should do it. Then he sent his helper, and off he goes. They go into Egypt. He has a tough time, but he leads the children of Israel out. Preparation prior to purpose. Jesus even preparation prior to purpose he didn't start the day he was 12 or 11 whatever age he was when he reasoned with the scribes that first visit to Jerusalem if it was his first visit but that visit where he his parents left him behind didn't even realize he wasn't there I mean he didn't just suddenly go from that young man into the miracle work in Jesus. It says this, he grew in stature with God and with men. He grew in stature. There was a process he had to go through. He had to be baptised by John the Baptist. He was driven out into the wilderness where he, he... fought really I suppose spiritual we talk about spiritual warfare this was real warfare he fasted and he fought the enemy he used the word of God as his sword and his shield preparation it says then he returned in the power of the Holy Spirit you see it all along three years training disciples to do the business when Jesus has ascended to heaven three years of preparation 
And it wasn't until the day of Pentecost came that that fulfillment began to exercise itself. So they had three years preparation plus however many days, 40 days, where they were in an upper room in Jerusalem. If you think it was in a house, that's okay. I don't mind you can think that. It could have been the upper room in the temple that they were meeting in every day. The reality is they had a time of preparation and away they went. Even the Apostle Paul had a time of preparation. He went off and learnt and did things. There, is a, there seems to me to be a whole process that you go through. King David slew Goliath, was anointed by Samuel the prophet. Did he walk into kingship that day? No. No. It was years he waited. There was a time of preparation. And that's what happens. And so for me, this passage teaches us that there's a time of preparation. And next week I'll talk on that. I'm going to ask Jason come back. Did you manage to get those words for me? Thanks. I've been listening to a song this week. Well, for several weeks now. None, um, nothing else. It's called by Cody Carnes. Um, it's the song that I read from earlier. I'm not going to ask us to sing it, all right? I want you to just listen to the music as it's played, all right? I don't know. Do you feel that you're able to sing it, Jason, or not? You tell me. Sorry, you give it a shot. All right. Let Jason play and sing it. And I just want you to just listen to the words. And I want to ask you this question. Is Jesus enough for you? Do you really want to know what it means to sit in the presence of the Almighty God? I've had at least two experiences of my life where I have known the tangible, heavy, three experiences of the tangible, heavy nature of the presence of God. That isn't just for special Christians, because I'm no special Christian. You probably, this is a, an overstatement, you might not even elect me as a minister if you knew me. Because I have warts and all. But I want to tell you something. When the presence of God comes in, time stands still. That's all I can tell you. I don't understand it, but time stands still. And all of a sudden, you've been there three quarters of an hour, an hour, and it just feels like a moment in time. I've been in that place where you feel the weight of God. I'm going to tell you something. This morning as we worshipped, when I raised my hands, I felt the weight of God. And God wants to dwell with us, not in a cerebral way only. I don't believe he divorces our minds. But he does want us to know truthfully the intimacy of knowing his presence deeply and for real. And I know my heart's deceitful and all the rest of it, but it never denies the fact that the experiential nature of God is real.
It's real. And when God comes, I want to tell you, his glory descends. We don't have to have a prayer queue for healing because people just get healed. In St. Helen's Elam Church, one morning, the presence of God came and there was a person with a cancer, skin cancer on their face. It took up half their face. And 20 minutes into this worship time, 25 minutes, all of a sudden this person started screaming at the top of their voice and they were running around the room and everybody thought that something negative had happened, you know? And when they managed to get them under control, that cancer, the whole of it, had fallen off into their hand. Whoa. And that's not a story that I'm divorced from because I know the minister who was there. And I know, I know who he is and I trust what he says. But a face cancer... Other people have been healed as they worship. Healing happens. You become overwhelmed with the love of God. Someone told me this week, listening to, I think it was this song, that they put it on repeat for an hour. And they felt the love of God. In fact, that is what God wants more than anything. He wants us to know that he loves us. So Jason, just sing, put the words up as he goes and you can look at them or you can just shut your eyes and listen. So my question for you to take away is do you want to regularly know the awesome and abiding presence of Jesus? If you do, I'm going to ask you to not just go from this place today and then turn up again next Sunday, but why don't you make it, whether it's you start the day with five minutes, you end the day with five minutes, but this week, before we gather next Sunday, you spend just a little bit of time and talk to God and express your desire to Him for what it is you want. Because I will tell you, God will meet you wherever you are, the desire of your heart is. He's promised that he will give us the desires of our heart. I know we have to walk after him and there are lots of other bits and pieces, but that's all about preparation. But what's your heart want this morning? What does your heart want? Not your head, your heart. Do you want dusty, dry Christianity? Or do you want a living relationship with the Almighty God? For me, I want a living relationship with the Almighty God. And as I say, I'm not special. I'm not a brilliant Christian. I do my best. In fact, sometimes I don't even do that. But I do know that God still loves me and he wants to meet with me. I'm going to pray and release you. Um, I'm not going to give notices. Um, I'll bung you an email tomorrow. We'll get Jason to do it. (laughs) As he knows how to use church suite. (laughs) 
and I'm not really that au fait with it. Lord, help us, Father, to have the deep longing that your scriptures talk about as a deer panteth for the water, so my soul longs after you. Thirst, Lord, give us a thirst for you. Lord, I pray over us as a congregation that you will give us a deep, unsatisfied thirst until we swim and know what it means to be in your presence, that we won't be able to just give up and let go. But it will become something which pulls us towards you. Oh God, I really pray. Lord, I, without you, I feel like Moses this morning, unless you go with us from this place. In fact, almost don't let us go up from here unless you go with us because how else will anybody else know that we belong to you? Lord, I know that in this room, we all have a love at different stages with you, for you. But Lord, deepen that love, deepen that relationship. Let us be known as people who know you. Not know about you, but know you. Deep, intimate relationship. Thank you, Father, for all you've done for us. Thank you for our salvation, the gift of Jesus. I want to thank you for every person here. I want to ask, Lord, your blessing on each and every one and the homes from which they come. But go with us this week, Lord, and let us know at different moments that you are there. For we ask it in Jesus' name. And that you, Father, might be glorified in this community. Amen.